prepared. Welcome back, folks, to Square Horror. I'm your Duke of Spook, Danny. And I'm prepared as heck, Master of Ceremonies, Matt. So, what are we covering today, Matt? We're covering Haunting of Hill House and Why It Rules. <laughs> we're very, we're very strong opinionated on this one. So, I think if, if you, and if you have Netflix, so the last couple of days, actually today, right? No, yesterday. It came out yesterday. Um, You obviously have heard or have seen on your homepage about the Haunting of Bly Bly Manor. Manor. Now, Haunting of Bly Manor, we would have watched yesterday, but we had a COVID scare at the department, so we weren't able to do it. So So we're going to do that sometime sometime this this week. Um, It's just going to be a quick bonus episode about it. Just talking about the first episode of the new Mm -hmm. series. But the, the Haunting of Hill House... First of all, is the first quote unquote season of yes. this kind of the haunting series. Yes, which I, so far looks like it's kind of like American Horror Story, where it's a different story entirely, but mm-hmm. it has the same, the same actors. Cast. Yes. So, we're covering today is the first and original kind of breakout success of this show. So, we have not seen Bly Manor yet. At all. Um, but I don't even care. Because what we're t- <laughs> focusing on is why Haunting of Hill House is, is fantastic. And I feel like should be required viewing. Because it balances, and we'll get into it, it balances effective horror with great television. Dude, oh, you cried when we finished it. And I'm glad. A few times yes. This show. So that's what you're dealing with here lie. is that both of us have cried a number of times <laughs> when we watched this. So there's. Definitely something special about this that I feel like we're going to dedicate the kind of last part of the episode to kind of Just really getting at two wives. So we're, we're all business first, and if you'll follow me with my business conference of why this is so good. <laughs> so for those that are laymen and women, which we're, our audience tends to be, which is good, uh, The Haunting of Hill House was released on Netflix in 2018. It was created... Yes. Uh, created and written by Mike Flanagan. And it was also distributed by Amblin, which is Steven oh. Spielberg's production company. So oh, Amblin's obviously E.T., mm-hmm. uh, Ready Player One most recently. He's right. con- And he's still making stuff. So he, he's mainly um, funding a lot of stuff, which is interesting that... Like, Amblin, I feel like, would be more suited for maybe something like Stranger Things. But no, yeah. it came for Haunting of Hill House. So... Um, a brief synopsis, and we'll get more into the specific characters, yes. and uh, thus we'll go into more events. So I think up top, um, this episode, we will be spoiling it at the end. Yes. So we will kind of, once we cover most of our fine points, we will... Get into the story. Yes, we will it's... have a, a, a more of a specific... We will warn you. We'll have a spoiler warning that... Plenty of so moments. we're going to hype the heck out of this show, show first so and then you go and watch it so people that haven't yes finish the episode. because the rest of it is just why it's so important i feel like but i can't really talk speak a lot to why it's so great without spoiling without it because it really does and we'll get to it at the end but towards the end of the show especially the last episode it really hammers home its message yeah, and that message it's We'll talk about it. It's good. 
so um, in the summer of 1992, and this is so we will not spoil it before then. We will be yes. very careful. So we, you can, you can listen thus far without it being spoiled for you. I'll be honest. I didn't realize that I didn't know what set time period this was mm-hmm. until I'm reading the synopsis right yes. now. So in the summer of 1992, Hugh and Olivia Crane and their children, Stephen, Stephen Shirley, Theodora, <laughs> Luke, and Nell. Yes. They move into Hill House to renovate the mansion in order to sell it and build their new house. Yes. However, due to the unexpected repairs and the house being super haunted, yeah. <laughs> uh, they have to stay longer and they begin to experience increasing paranormal phenomena. Yes. Uh, which ultimately results in a tragic loss and the family fleeing from the house. And 26 years later, the Crane's siblings and their estranged father at that point reunite after tragedy strikes their family again, and they are forced to confront how their time in Hill House has affected each and every one yes. of them. So the show spends equal times between the characters when they were younger and them as adults. Yes. So it's similar to it in the fashion of... Well, chapter two. Yeah, more. I would say more like the miniseries, it, where it, yes. it bounces back and forth between them as children and them, them as, adults. as adults. And the way it's done specifically, uh, for the most part, at least the first couple of episodes, is because there's five children, each of them have a specific spotlight episode. Yes. So they are the main character of that episode. Granted, all the other characters are in it, mm-hmm. but like for the first one. So they go in order of... I believe they go in order of, of Oyola. So the first episode is about Stephen, the oldest son, and it, it it's about him as an adult. Uh, he's become a writer, and him as a child. Yes. And they bounce. That's how all the episodes kind of go from there. And once they're done with the kids, they cover them when they're all together, and then ultimately going into uh, the father and the mother have their own episodes. Yes. So up top... It was so it's created and written by Mike Flanagan. We love Mike Flanagan. We've we've gushed about him on the show before, um, but this is the first time that we've ever really actually get to this. So Mike Flanagan, I believe, is a modern day horror genius. <laughs> I he, I think it's because all of his stuff is so character driven. Mm-hmm. It's scary, but it's scary in ways that are not cheap. There, yes. it's they've it's earned. It's yeah, horror elements. So, Mike Flanagan, you may know from uh, his films Absentia, which I haven't seen, but that sounds like his breakout one. Um, Hush, which is, I think, the best horror movie on, on Netflix. Yes, it's, it's released on Netflix. Yes. Um, Before I Wake, um, Ouija, Origin of Evil. <laughs> uh, Gerald's Game, also on Netflix. Doctor, Doctor Sleep. Sleep. from last year, starring you and McGregor. Oh, Doctor Sleep. so good. Um, and we'll gush about that on yes, whole other and uh, an upcoming series that he's filming now called Midnight Mass. Yes. Um, I just kind of had that last bit about me. So he's also credited as so he's only has three acting credits, mm-hmm. but um, one of them is that he showed up on the No Sleep podcast as a featured performer on their episode on Baraska. Which, if we ever get into covering stories, maybe like if we do like a creepy pasta episode and cover uh-huh. like the highlights. Um, Baraska is one of my favorite horror slash thriller stories I've ever read. Yes. It's fantastic, and I'm glad that Mike Flanagan got to be a part of it. And so did his wife. They both showed up on it. Um, so Mike Flanagan wrote every episode. He's credited Mm -hmm. as all ten episodes. Um, a couple episodes here and there have, uh, writing credits from other people that have worked with him over the years. So he's got his writing team. 
He's brought his A team to this, so he's the cinematography, which is I have his name, but it's the same man that he's used in everything that he's made. Um, um, Michael Fimignari? Yes, Michael Fimignari. Uh He's also done all the three um, to all the boys I've ever loved before There's movies three. on that. They're making a third one. Okay, so like, I thought they just released the second yeah. one. I, when, I, when I was going through, so because the crew and the cast are so extensive in their careers, I tried to limit it to mainly things that our audience may know about. Okay. And I figured that those like... Netflix is in, in like a renaissance of rom coms nowadays for sure some reason. Are. So I feel like a lot of people have seen those movies. Or at least have heard about them. So you can keep that in mind. That I, I don't know the way those movies are shot, but I would imagine geniusly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to get into the cast, so okay, so you have all five Crane children, their mother and their father. Yes. You also have that same cast aged down. Yeah. So. This is what twenty years, twenty six years, years later. So all the Crane children are also double cast as children. Mm-hmm. There's also a younger version of the father. Yes. So up top, so Stephen Crane, adults, is played by Michael Huisman. Huisman. Uh, he's shown up in Orphan Black. He was in Nashville. He's in Game of Thrones. Um, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Reeser, who is she's 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 Esme from Twilight. <laughs> Which I was cool because I watched those movies for the first time over quarantine just because I was super bored. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hell yeah, man. It's Shirley from Haunting of Hill House. Um, then we have the adult Theo played by Kate Siegel. Yes, that's Mike Flanagan's Mike wife. wife. Who also stars in Hush and helped yes. write Hush. So she is the main character in that movie. She helped write it. And I don't know if you know this, but her and Mike wrote that movie while staying at the Stanley Hotel. Which is where mm-hmm. The Shining was based on. Um, which is that, awesome. I did find out that during the filming of one of the episodes of Hill House was when Kate found out that she was That's pregnant, right. That's so cool. Which is so fun. They've got, I checked, they have two kids now. One okay. of them, I think it was the one that was born in 2018, they named Theodora. They named I it after her character, that. which is super cool. Um, so yeah, Kate has showed up in most of the things that, that Mike Flanagan's done. Yes. Um, Gerald's Game, uh, I don't think she was in Doctor Sleep. She was in before. I don't think so. Was she before? No. No. no yeah. Mike Flanagan likes to use the same actors in all of his stuff, which yes. is fun because that's kind of how, even if I don't know a movie is a Mike Flanagan movie, I can kind of go, wait a minute. I, they're I all these people. They're all kind of in the same stuff. <laughs> it's kind of like Rob Zombie in the sense that he likes to use the same actors, which I think if I was a director, I'd do the same thing. I would oh, yeah. just use like the people I liked working with the most. Yes. Um, adult Luke. Luke is Oliver Jackson Cohen. Uh, he's been in a lot of things, none of which I had heard of before. Um, he was in a Dracula miniseries. He was in that Emerald City show. And he was in the new remake of Invisible yes. Man. Yeah, which was cool because he did that after this. So I'm hoping that because of Hill House and Blind Manor now that... Also, it should be stated that I think every single one of these actors uh, that are adults show up in Blind Manor also. Yes. Um, I just kind of skipped them because I feel like we would cover that when we got into my matter. When we get there eventually. Exactly. Um, so yeah, he did Invisible Man, and I was glad to see that because he's awesome in this show, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm glad that he should be used more. Yes. And in her breakout <sighs> initial casting is Victoria Pedretti. 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 Pedretti as Nell, who is also featured in the yeah. Netflix "quote unquote" horror. I figured series, that more people you. would know her from you. She's from you, season two. Yes. She plays love. Yeah. 
I you told me that this was like her breakout this role. This was her first role outside. Yeah, of like she graduated in 2017, and then and this uh, released in 2018. Which I think is fun because so I'm assuming that she graduated spring of 2017. That they about started right. filming this in October of 2017. Yeah. So she got this right out of college, and she's good. At kills it. it. I'll get to it eventually, but this show was nominated for a couple of more horror-centric awards, namely uh, something called the Bram Stoker uh, Award, which is for horror writing. And it won for the episode The Bent Neck Lady, which is Nell's episode. Um, So that's just how great... I mean, they all carry their episodes. They all are huge forces in their own rights. Especially with um, when it comes to interacting with each other, um, it's just these. Especially like once you, it's kind of like I would say it's those episodes where they finally get to actually go in contact with each other. It's kind of like the Avengers, where like okay. you've seen all of their episodes thus far, and then you kind of know you know everybody's deal. You know everyone's kind of experiences with Hill House. You know their relationships with their other with their siblings and their father. And then you get to throw them all in a single room and you see how they interact with each other. And it's it's very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so also on the younger... Also on the in the Crane family, there's um, two actors who play... Um, what was his name? The Hugh, Hugh Crane. Uh, so the younger version of him is played by Henry Thomas. Yes. Who was Elliot in E.T., yeah. Years ago, um, <laughs> he's also shown up in other Flanagan stuff. He's been in Doctor Sleep. He was in, uh, I believe, Ouija: Origin of Evil. He's going to be in Midnight Mass also. Yes. Uh, he's also currently been in Star Girl, that DC Universe show. Oh, I forgot that thing. Exists. I'm just. I thought I would do his most recent credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Carla Gugino is uh, is, the is is Olivia Crane. Um, she's been in so all much. sorts of things. Throughout, like, most of our childhoods. Mm. So she was the mother in Spy Kids, namely. Oh, man. Um, she was in Night at the Museum. She was, I believe, the reception. No, she wasn't a reception. She was one of the people that worked in the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Popper's Penguins. Right. <laughs> uh, she's been in Watchmen. She's been a New Girl. She's, new um, girl. she's also been in Gerald's Game, so I yes. think that's how Mike Flanagan got to start working with her. Mm-hmm. Um, what a versatile act. Yes. <laughs> Especially in Gerald's Game. Uh, which I think is so cool because, like I said, like all of his stuff centers around people's kind of dealing with trauma, mm-hmm. and that's like what is the horror to them, namely. Yeah. Like also ghosts, but also people's but more past. Um, so I mean, she doesn't get as much to do in Haunting of Hill House, um, but you know she gets a whole thing in Gerald's Game. Um, also, the adult uh, Hugh Crane, or uh, more the the older Dara. Hugh Crane. Yes. Is uh, Timothy Hutton, who's been—I mean, he's been all over the place. I first knew him in uh, when he was a younger man in the movie Taps, which is one of Tom Cruise's first movies, also. Okay. Um, at least Sean Penn's in that movie too. It's pretty crazy. Um, man, I lost his name. Uh, I couldn't. I, he's been in several other things. I know that he was in. Uh, uh, he was in How to Get Away with Murder. Yes. Uh, how to get. Keep going. I can't find it. Uh, I lost it. And then he was also in Leverage. Leverage. That was the big one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's. Been, so that's all. Yeah. So that's the main adult cast, both 
the adults of the modern era, which was the um, aged of 26 years, and the parents from the original yes. 1992 era. So them as kids, I think is on par with the child acting in It. it absolutely. These kids... Oh my god. Um, not only that, but they are all, most of them are veterans. of Like, yes. they've done so they've much stuff. They've got credits. Yes. Um, so, I, I didn't go in the order that they were born in for this, but I know, mm-hmm. so Lulu Wilson is young Shirley. Yes. Um, she's worked with Mike Flanagan before, and has done a lot of horror before. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in Deliver Us from Evil, she was in Annabelle Creation, um, she knew she's worked with Mike Flanagan in Origin of Evil. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been in the miniseries Sharp Objects, so she's like been in a lot of intense stuff. Yes. Um, and then we have huge veteran at this point at age fourteen, McKenna Grace. I can't believe her career. She it's fantastic. Well, and going off of that, Lulu Wilson was in Annabelle Creation. McKenna Grace was in Annabelle Comes Home. That's the third Annabelle right. Movie. Was she in the Conjuring movies too? Or they um, recast her character? No, because she was younger. In, she, in, okay. Yeah, she was recast into yes. It All Comes Home, I believe. I can't believe and that. And then she's had such a lucrative oh. career between Itania. And she normally, I think, has... she Her big shtick is playing young versions, versions of main characters. Like, she was... Um, young Captain Marvel. Yeah, she, she was, was young, young Captain Sabrina Marvel. She was young Chilean Sabrina. Adventures. She's been young Tanya Harding. Uh, mm-hmm. I think she was young Snow White in Once Upon a Time. And then sometimes she get, yeah. just gets to play kids, like she, in Fuller House yeah. and the new Ghostbusters yeah. movie. She was in Ready Player One. She's going to be in the upcoming Ghostbusters movie. Um, so, and Gifted, which you and Gifted loved. Gifted was Chris Evans, which I I think she was like loved. six for that, like or something like that. It's been a say, bit. It's been a couple years since that one dropped. She, I think she was maybe nine or ten when that movie came out. Yes. Um uh, She's so talented. So for the the Crane boys, you have Paxton Singleton, who hasn't been in a whole lot of stuff. He plays um, young Steven, mm-hmm. um, who is much older than all the other kids. I think because I think the character was supposed to be like twelve or thirteen. Yeah. Um, I, but I do know the one that I did recognize is that he played in an episode of Supernatural. He was Dean Winchester. He was a younger Dean Winchester. Okay. Um, and then you have Julian Hilliard, who is young Luke. Who's most recently been in uh, Penny Dreadful City of Angels? He's in that Color Out of Space Shutter movie with, with Nicolas Cage, Cage. Um, and he's gonna be in The Devil Made Me Do the new Conjuring movie. The, new, the Devil Made yeah, Me. Yeah, The Conjuring Three. The Devil Made Me Do It. That movie better be a blast. Oh, uh, really? We'll have a good time. Well, it'll be cool to see him in it, uh, yeah. especially because after Haunting of Hill House, I. Um, Especially with Mike Flanagan stuff, was picking out more people that mm-hmm. he's used. Especially um, Violet McGraw, who's young Nell, yes. who was in Doctor Sleep. She's oh. in not the the first scene. She's one of the first scenes in Doctor Sleep. She's yeah. that little girl that rose the hat and the true knot yes. just obliterate. Uh, they really so I should that. say all these kids are adorable. Yes. Especially the two young ones, um, Nell and Luke's. They, well, they, they're twins, and I believe that the both of them are supposed to be maybe like five or six years old. Yeah, I the, think so. and oh, these kids are so cute, they're, they're <laughs> and you hate to see them like dealing with yes. paranormal things. The one I forgot. So also, Violet McGraw's gonna be in Black Widow. Whenever that. Comes yeah, out. I just thought that was fun. Is that when we <laughs> see that, I'll be like, oh, look at there she is. Um, the cast also includes Anthony. Ruvivir. Ruvivir. Yeah, I know him from the Scream TV show. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Samantha okay. Sloyan was from Hush. Yes, again, Mike Flanagan's using the same actors and actresses. Annabeth uh, Gish. Yes. Gish. Yes. Um, so the the two these are the Dudleys. So Annabeth yes. Gish and Robert Longstreet. Um, Annabeth Gish was in Before I Wake. Another Mike Flanagan piece. Also, she was in Mystic Pizza, and she was in Nixon. So she's oh, been wow. in some big movies, yeah. and I'm glad that her career has got a resurgence, especially with Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. And uh, Robert Longstreet um, was uh, Barry the Chunk in Doctor Sleep. <laughs> uh, he's also been in Aquaman, and he's gonna be in Halloween Kills. Which I cannot wait for Halloween Kills. It'll be cool because I, I want to know if I can pick him out because yeah. I didn't rem- I didn't recognize him in Doctor Sleep. Yeah. I had no idea um so i mean and everybody in the show i mean i left out people obviously there's been a there's a lot of people that show up in kind of backgrounds or lesser uh like lesser main characters yes um that a lot of them are also people that have been in other mike flanagan stuff and that goes for everything that he's done um like for instance gerald's game has a flashback where the main character who's played by um carla gagani I already forgot how to say Gugino. Um, her <laughs> character as a child's mother is played by Kate Siegel, which is cool because in this, it's the other oh, way around. Man, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, there's a lot of people that are kind of um, only in, like, one or two episodes or they kind of show up for, like, one or two scenes that have been in other Mike Flanagan stuff. Um, namely, which I thought was super cool, um, Russ Tamblin, who's uh, Nell's psychiatrist... Uh, Dr. Montague. Yeah, named Dr. Montague. Yeah. So I found this cool fact that... So he not only was in the original The Haunting, which is a 1963 movie based on the book by Shirley Jackson, which we'll get into in a bit. Yes. Um, he also played Riff in West Side Story, the movie. Uh. So follow me here. Riff was in Tony's gang. Now Tony is the Romeo character in, in the West Side Story movie. So Tony well, is the yes. uh, Mercutio. He's the Mercutio character. Yes. So they are, in the modern parlance, the Montague side. Of West Side Story. So in a way, Rush Tamblin has played a Montague is playing before. Dr. Montague. Be, I, there's all sorts of these. <laughs> like, namely, what they do is, so, big, because, so Originally, the book, The Haunting of Hill House, is a book by Shirley Jackson, yes. which I've been dying to read. She wrote The Lottery. She's a very prolific horror writer. Mm-hmm. Um, in the original story and in the movie, The Haunting, uh, there are characters that have the similar names. Like, the Dudleys are still the caretakers. They yes. have the same names. Um, there's a character named Eleanor. There's a character named Theodora. There's a character named Luke. Mm-hmm. But they are not related. They are all just participants in a study about Hill House. Yes. And um, so they, for this, obviously, the Crane siblings were named after these characters and also named after Shirley Jackson. So Shirley is named after Shirley Jackson and Steven is named after Steven Steven Spielberg Spielberg. because of Amblin Entertainment. Yeah. Production company. Um, But, like, buildings are named after, like, actors' names from the original movie. Um, Like, the actress who played Nell's last name is Harris. Um, I believe that the funeral home is Harris something funeral home. Um, The rehab clinic that Luke is in is named after one of the characters in the the movie. Um, They kind of do all these like name check things, which is very interesting. And I like that sort of writing where there's a lot of homages and nods to things like that. Yes. 
Um, so the show was primarily shot in Atlanta. Where they love shooting things. And, I mean, all those shots of Luke wandering around in the city, that was in Atlanta. All mm-hmm. the interior um, sound stages in for, for the inside of Hill House, all on sound stages in Atlanta. Atlanta. Um, the exterior of Hill House was of this place called Bisham Manor, which is outside of LaGrange in Georgia. Okay. Um, look up a picture of this place. It's super creepy looking and super awesome. And, I mean, they couldn't have found a better house oh, yeah. to do these exterior shots. Um, so in terms of filming, um, the way that I've heard that Mike Flanagan likes to shoot is he has a lot of rehearsal beforehand. Yes. Um, which works out a lot because the sixth episode, which is the episode after all of the kids have had their episode and they're all together. together as adults. Yes. It is in... So I'll read, yeah. in So the first 15 and a half minutes of episode six, excluding the beginning, one minute and 20 seconds, beginning the, the credit scene, were done in one take. Yes. No edits, no cuts, no 1917, like, fade, fake oh, out, man. like, oh, fade to black, we didn't cut, like, you, they cut there. Like, there are no yeah. cuts. So the episode itself has five, five long takes. in total. There's so four so four cuts, five long takes. Yes. The longest being the third, which is over 17 minutes. They go back and forth yes. through time without so cutting. So they shift from, like, they'll go down a hallway in the building that they're in, walk the other, rock around that corner, and they'll be in Hill House. Yeah. So they built most of that house in a soundstage connected by rooms for this purpose. Yeah. Which also makes it feel like an actual house. Yes. And like a maze. Like they kind of were getting to that it's a lot like a maze. Mm-hmm. And when they walk down those hallways and all those turns, there's a lot of one shot, one takes throughout the show that yes. do um, follow people down hallways. And it's very, it's not dizzying, but it's like once you turn around, you're like, wait, where did where, I come from? I? Um, which is on purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, they get into that the house has this kind of like living energy and that it wants you to like be lost in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's very interesting that especially, and I think just admirable from like a filmmaking standpoint too. I mean, all these people prepared so much. I mean, the production was shut down for six weeks so that they could rehearse this to episode. To film it. Oh man, it's so crazy because it's, so many lines, so many mm-hmm. movements, all of it, it. It's it's like watching a play. Yeah. As but if you transitioned from the theater to like a mansion, yeah. Like it's crazy that they were able to do all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so to wrap up, just the technical aspects of the the show. Um, you're listening to two people. Anyone that you listen, I'm gonna go out to limb and say anyone that you ask about this show that has watched all of it. Except for the Guardian, for some reason, because they can't. We're not. We're being positive. We can't talk about the Guardian's stupid. Inter- Don't even look <laughs> at it. It's upsetting. <laughs> Everyone that, you know, because you know what? Yes, that reporter said they weren't a horror fan. Yes. So anyone that you watched that watched the show that actually finished it, yes, that gave it the time of day to watch it, and probably didn't watch it while they were writing other articles on their phone and weren't watching it, mm-hmm. loved it. It's fantastic. Stephen King was like. It's a very strange thing to do a revision of this book, but it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. He loved it. Tarantino, Tarantino. Tarantino in some like other interview, probably about like 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or something else was like best show on Netflix, Haunting of Hill House. Like he went out of his way to gush about the show, yeah. and I think he it's up his alley because of his love for filmmaking. He absolutely absolutely appreciated mm-hmm. all the things that they did in that. Um, was nominated for several Saturn Awards. Um, Henry Thomas won for his portrayal of young uh, Hugh Crane. Yes. Uh, like I said, won that Bram Stoker Award for the episode The Bent Neck Lady, which I think is episode five. Yes. Five. Episode five. Uh, so I think one of the main things that you can take away from this... So yes, the show is a scary show. I wouldn't go as far as say horror... I wouldn't either. But it's... I mean, there, there are some there jump scares. Are but for, I would say, probably 90 to 95% of the scare, quote-unquote scares yeah. in the show, they are built up to and are realistic. And I think, They are real things to be afraid of. It's not yes. like, oh, I'm here. Well, and I think in terms of jump scares, there's maybe only like one or two an episode. Yeah. And they're not like oh, cheap either. hour-long episodes. Yes. It's not like it's just 20 minutes of, whoo, yeah. here. It's not like, you know, it's just like they take out all the sound and there's someone creeping around an old house and then boom, something scary jumps out at them. None of that ever happens. When there are jump scares, it's not cheap. They're like, and again, there's not a lot of them. And I feel like even if you aren't a fan of jump scares, um, this show makes up for it. Absolutely. I mean, there's more than enough to um, kind of pull you in. And unsettle you in a better way than you may be used to watching horror movies. Well, and there's so much plot and character development to really sink your teeth into with this show. It's only ten episodes long. Mm -hmm. It's about, it's roughly ten hours because each episode's somewhere between 45 and an hour. I think the last one's the longest. It's an an hour hour and ten. Yeah, it's around there. I think what's one of the coolest things that's kind of scary about the show is the ghosts in the background. I think if you've heard about anything about Haunting of Hill House, you've heard about these ghosts. So how they have shot this show is that because of the grandioseness of the house they live in, in the background there's plenty of room. There's empty space. Yes. So pretty much any given scene, there's room for one. So you kind of have to look kind of closely. I mean, and there's guides on the internet about it. Having just watched it for the first time this past week, I only caught a handful of them because I was so focused mm. on other things. I'm yes. probably going to go back and rewatch the show to mm. look in the background for all of these little yeah. Easter eggs. So, the ghosts. for instance, you'll have a character in the foreground talking and kind of over their shoulder or behind them somewhere. Because obviously the focus is on them. Everything else will be blurred. There'll be someone in the background. Not well, all the time, but sometimes. Well, one of the ones that I caught that I found really interesting was in that long take episode... There are a couple points where they'll pan away from a statue, and the next time you see it, about 10 that seconds That one was later, cool. The head has been moved. turned. So it's even cool because even if that thought of that kind of scares you, you might miss most of them. Yeah. Because you're so focused. And, I mean, I looked for them specifically because when I first watched it, it was like the weekend it had come out. The first thing about it was like, there's ghosts, like, hidden everywhere. you got to look for them. And, I mean... If you're looking for them, they're not hard to find. Yes. And they don't do anything. They just kind of stand there. Um, it's kind of fun because sometimes you're not sure if you saw one or not. And they'll they'll cut back to the character and whatever shape it was will be gone. And you'll be like, oh, it was a ghost. 
Um, so according to production, up to 30 Easter egg ghosts are planted throughout the series. Uh, apparently it was Mike Flanagan's plan from the beginning to set up these kind of little Easter eggs and see if people could spot them. Uh, while working on the primary prosthetic makeup for the show, each day the makeup team would also produce up to four hours. Uh, sorry, four, four two, yeah, four of these four hidden, hidden ghosts. ghosts. So every episode has four of them, <laughs> give or take. Because they all have makeup. They all look like they're dead. Yes. Not like corpse dead, but they are they got like dark rooms around their face. They got pale makeup on them. Kind of like an Insidious. All those ghosts look like yeah. pale. Um, and Mike Flanagan just put them in every, in each show. Like, he hand put them in there uh, in, in areas that it would be easy to spot them, but easy enough for them to hide where it wasn't the main focus. Yes. And, yeah, because I never felt distracted yeah. by any of the background stuff because I didn't notice it. Well, and it, they don't do anything. They just stand there. Yeah, and, and there's other times where, like, it will be... Like, there's one where they're in the kitchen. Uh, it's during um, the mother's episode where she's having, like, a migraine. She's going into the kitchen, and um, Shirley and Luke are fighting. And in the cabinet, like, the big, like, pantry cabinet, there's just mm-hmm. someone, like, looking out through it. And, like, she passes it and then comes back and it's still there. So mm-hmm. it's like, as the show goes on, they get closer and closer and more overt. Yes. Because it's, at first, it's like, yeah, this show is about ghosts, but they're not, they're kind of symbolically in the back of people's minds. Yes. And as it gets closer to, like, that last night, they become more visible um, a bigger part of the yes. story. Um, just a quick side note about Easter eggs. Um, apparently, so Mike Flanagan has does little like nods to his other works in some of his other stuff. Um, the mirror from Oculus apparently is in Hill House. I didn't see it the first time. I mean, it's a it's a big fancy looking mirror. The mm-hmm. house is full of fancy stuff. Yes, but I mean, like in Gerald's game, there's a shelf. With where she has her cup of water that mm-hmm. is has a book called Midnight Mass. That's the book that the character from Hush wrote. Was yeah, um, and is what the new yeah is what the new project. ones can be called. So there's, I mean, now that I've seen before I wake, I would like to go back and be like, well, is there anything about you know people's names or pictures yeah. or is there butterflies in places? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he does that. So I think that that's kind of where he likes. What, like, where they like for putting ghosts in came yes. from. So, uh, out of those ghosts, there's a couple very big ones. I mean, yes. every every one of the kids has a very specific seminal experience mm-hmm. with the house while they were living there for a few months over yes. the summer. Um, Luke's, for instance, was this big, tall, like, bowler-hatted ghost. Yes. Um, who was played by the guy who was in Dr. Sleep. He was that creepy dude from the end of Gerald's game. He's that big, tall, like, Marfan syndrome guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I just had a quick bit about him. Is to portray... It was also... That was William Hill that was, like, the founder of the house. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, actor Fedor Steer would wear prosthetics to give his face that sunken bone structure look. He'd also be outfitted with arm and leg extensions. And the arm extensions were two feet long. It was strapped underneath his wardrobe. Because so this character, and you'll see if you watch it, and if you can't, just Google the bowler hat man from mm-hmm. Haunting of Hill House. He's this, like, 13 to 15 foot tall 
ghost that hovers and has a cane, mm-hmm. which is how, and he's like floating like a good foot off the ground. Yeah, but he's like stretched out like this long, long man, and uh, so he's got this big coat on, his long, long arms. Uh, hand grips were provided that allowed Steer to move his hands back and forth. Magnets were used in the hands so the bowler hat man could hold his cane. And for the disturbing scene where the bowler hat man peers beneath the bed, an additional actor would perform the ghost's legs while he lifted up the bed with his hand. Yeah. And the floating gag was achieved with r- wire rigs that the show's stunt team was just holding. Yeah. <laughs> so they were just holding him up as he just kind of like moved around yeah. on this like trolley. <laughs> Um, so, I, I think now is a good time to talk about the kids I think, themselves. I think this is where we're going to have to say that yeah. we're, so, we're about to jump yeah. into spoiler so, territory so because, yes. get into the real meat of some of yeah. these characters. Because I want to go through each of these characters specifically before we talk about our big our thoughts. And, um, so I think the last thing that you can say before we enter spoiler territory is that the Crane children are supposed to represent the five stages of grief. Yes. Um, which being uh, denial is Stephen, uh, anger is Shirley. Shirley, bargaining is Theo, Theo. Um, oppression is Luke. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and acceptance is Nell. All right, so now we're going to be entering spoiler territory. Yes. Um, I presume for the rest of the episode. Yeah. So c- go watch the yeah. show and then come back and I, I th- with us about our about I, the characters. Yeah. Man, I I think that just to wrap up for people that want to watch it, they don't want to have it spoiled for them. I think the reason this show is so good, again, is because it's one of the best TV shows I've ever watched. Mm-hmm. Everyone in it, like, all the characters you feel for, the writing is spectacular. It's great. Um, just, even just side characters. Like, mm-hmm. when, like, Steven's interviewing people for his book, they're just, like, these very gripping stories mm-hmm. about, you know, hauntings that, that's just for that scene. Yeah. I mean, the the support group meeting in Luke about that guy who yeah. saw that woman when he was in Iraq. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like across the board, fantastic writing and it all culminates in a very satisfactory ending. Yes. Which I think a lot of shows don't, they either stick the landing with kind of semi, you know, amateur writing mm-hmm. or are a great show that, futzes the landing super bad or try to go on much longer yeah. than it's than it should and this show ends right yes. where it should the story began at the first second of the first episode and ended perfectly at the last second of the last episode yes nothing i feel like was left out they didn't overextend themselves mm-hmm. everything is wrapped up perfectly so even if you don't want to watch Haunting of Blind Manor. I mean, if you like Haunting of Hill House, I'm assuming that you'll probably like Blind Manor. We haven't yes. even watched it yet. Correct. But I think even if you just if you just don't want to watch a lot of horror stuff, I think that just Hill House mm-hmm. is worth your time. Again, it's not very long, and it's just that. Yes. I mean, it's an easy binge show. I mean, I watched it in two days. I think I watched it over three because yeah. I had classes. <laughs> You watched it over this past week to get ready. I watched it between Tuesday and Thursday. Yes. So, and I think that if you can appreciate, you know, really good characters, I mean, there's many times, I mean, yeah, this show's a scary show, but it's just as easily makes you happy and makes you sad. 
Yeah, it's very much as much mm-hmm. a character-driven drama piece as it is Absolutely. a horror show. And I think that that's what Mike Flanagan does. That's yes. his, the type of stuff that he makes. I think that it just... This was his, so far, his, like, magnum opus of, yes. like, I told this you I can do, do it. Yes. Um, so now we are going to enter spoiler territory. Yes, we're officially here. So, let's go into them one by one. Yes. Uh, so, Stephen Crane has his first episode, Stephen Sees a Ghost. Yes. And boy, howdy, does he. Yeah. So, Stephen's big thing for the show is that because that he doesn't believe in ghosts and that mm-hmm. the whole time they were at Hill House he never saw anything weird or mm-hmm. kind of experienced anything and he was the oldest yeah so he's a lot more angry at his father he's like you lied to yeah. us you hide truths so, from yeah. us so you never told us what happened because so they stayed there over the summer and they mm-hmm. all left very suddenly one um, night in the middle of the night um and Steven is yeah. woken up to leave yes so the, the Hugh ushers all of his kids outside the mother is very obviously not with them. He mm-hmm. sticks them at the motel, and then he Says, goes back. Go back. And, I mean, he finds out that his wife is dead when he comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen has has kind of rationalized that she's a very sick woman. Yeah. Um, clearly mentally ill, and the reason that she's dead is because their dad just fucking left. So yes. he resents his father a lot for that, and resents a lot of his siblings for just not having their shit together as much. Plus, they all hate him because be- now that he's an adult and he's a horror writer, he kind of fucked them over by yeah, writing a book about, about their house. He doesn't believe. Well, and he just kind of, like, their whole life he would kind of, like, berate Nell and Luke for seeing the things that they did, and then he wrote a whole book about, about their experiences. The they and then continued to kind of, like, when Nell is spiraling emotionally... He's like, you need to fucking cut it out. Yeah. Like, move on. So I think, but I think what makes Stephen doesn't really like to talk about. Well, and things. I mean, his, and his wife is separating from him. Yeah. He's kind of because he's kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think Stephen's redeeming quality is, especially towards the end when he has those scenes in the last episode with his dad, where his dad's explaining what yes. happened and is. Mm-hmm. Making Stephen realize. I think what it's. Be- I think one of the main reasons that it really resonated with him is because he sees a lot of his own life and how his dad deals with things, um, especially after he talked about you know all that Stephen really wanted to do originally was be there for his siblings, and he mm-hmm. f- he he failed. Yeah, kind of like how you know Hugh thinks that he should have been there for Liv, and he failed. Yes. So he sees, like, we are very similar, that, like, your life was falling apart and you did what you thought was right. My life's falling apart and I've been making all the wrong decisions. Yes. Um, so I, I think the only time I really liked Steven originally was his first episode because he wasn't being an asshole anymore. Yeah. Um, but no, Steven ends up, I like the way that they kind of... Kind I of, really like how they bring his character full circle. I mean, especially because the middle of the episode, the middle of the season during episode six, when everyone's just fucking horrible to each other, you're like, why don't any of you just talk, talk to each other? Talk about your problems. Because none of them want to listen to what the other people have to say. None of them think that, everyone just thinks they're right. You know, they don't want to hear anyone's nonsense. Especially Shirley. So Shirley is a very, I really liked her episode. I really like her episode and I really like her arc. But well, God, the point. I think what's great is that she, lot. I think, is 
one of the best written characters out of the five of them because all of her decisions make sense. As a child, she was very, like, you know, she wasn't as in touch with the rest of them. She kind of liked to do her own thing, have her space, because she was a very big control freak. Yes. And the that, you know, translated into as she was an adult. She became a mortician and yes. ran her own home with her family. And her relationship with her husband is very strange. That all he wants to do is be there for her. Mm-hmm. But she's kind of emotionally despondent, just by nature. Yeah. Magnified by the fact that after Hill House, she receded further into herself. Because the only person mm-hmm. that really saw that that's just who she was was her mother. Yes. Um, especially with the whole cat thing is that, like, I think that's where the dark kind of fascination with death came from. Yeah. Um, it was where she found these little kittens mm-hmm. and she took them in to try to save them and they all died. And I think that and was cool. Like, you, I haven't seen her episode since I've watched it last time, but you mm-hmm. did see it. Um, the whole kind of art she has in her episode about that kid who's, like, not okay with, I think his grandmother or his aunt is dead. Oh, uh, it's his grandmother. Yes, but she's talking to him, like, relating to, like, this kid was me. Yeah. Is that he wasn't bothered about death, he was just bothered about everything else. Yes. And people's emotions kind of bothered him. And mm-hmm. she's very much that character. Um, unfortunately so, that she just never gives it... Like, she is a very pragmatic, logic... Kind of like Steven, where they're very logic-based, but he is less... He's a lot more morally gray. Like, she resents the fact that he makes money off of their experience. yeah. Um, But there's a whole thing just, like... Her and Theo are the opposite person. Yes. Like, she oh is a lot God. more her daughter's, her, her father's daughter than Theo is her mother's daughter. Yes. And that, and it's odd, it's odd because they live together. I was like, because <laughs> um, Theo lives in Shirley's guest house. So, uh. Theo is one, it's, I think that after this last rewatch, Luke is my favorite. Theo has yeah. been my favorite because... As a child, she had the most visceral experience, I think, aside from Nell, with the house itself. So, the mother, Liv, and Theo are both, in a way, clairvoyance. They have a lot more sensitivity to the house and the ghosts that live there. And Theo, to the point that she has the ability of psychometry, which, those of you that aren't nerds, (laughs) is the ability to touch an object and kind of like read its mind and read its experiences. Yes. Which I found really interesting in her episode when she uses that to find out about a foster parent problem. Which that whole thing was the. Oh, I loved it. Like, even if that was just her introduction. And they didn't talk about her experience at the house. I would have been sad if I like, yep, all I need to know about Theo is there. Yeah. Because Theo is the only one of the siblings that knowingly... Cause, so Stephen came in and was like, hey, I'm writing a book about Hill House. I'll give you guys money if you want. And they all said, fuck, no, like, get mm-hmm. out. Theo he was like, said, I don't said, care, man. Because she, I think, is very much... She's like, I'll take it. I'll go get my doctor. Because she's just like... Yeah, it's the house is fucked, but you know, life's fucked. Because yeah. she's got a very pessimistic view of the world because she knows everything. Like, mm-hmm. she can talk, like, by shaking hands with someone, she can know their deepest secrets. Yeah. And it's Which given is her. horrifying. Well, and it's given her a, a, a physical detachment from other people. Yes. 
Um, well, yeah, because she always wears gloves whenever she's interacting with anything yes. or anyone. She doesn't. So want she doesn't to want to touch things. About. So she's become a child psychologist, mm-hmm. um, which I think is her way of trying to get get back what she was someone did for her. Oh yeah, and I love that every time she meets one of the new kids, she, she touches takes the glove them. off yes. and she shakes their hand. And then and they always kind of flash to like she immediately knew like what their problems were and she could effectively treat them. The only one that couldn't was that little girl who had the problem with the smiling man. Mm-hmm. Which I guess right away was that she was being molested and I was glad I was right. But the way they did it was crazy because in her mind, it was a monster. Mm -hmm. So that when Theo touched her, she then had nightmares about this girl's nightmarish view of her foster father. Yeah. Um, I think that all of these kids would have been fine as adults if their mother hadn't been ripped out of their lives. Because again, Mm -hmm. like Shirley, the only one that really got Theo was her mom. And I think because... Right at the kind of advent of her developing these kind of emotions and, and feelings about things, her mother was the only one that was like, I believe you, I'll help you, and then was ripped from her life so that she had to go through the rest of her life dealing with all that by herself. And she's mm-hmm. like, well, the best way I can just avoid it is just not be around anybody. Yeah. Um. So there's all these different coping mechanisms that they all have, which I think kind of come to a head with Luke. <laughs> yeah. So Luke, Luke as a child is this cute little kid. He's like, he's, he's got this imaginary, he's got yeah, his little glasses Yeah, he's on. got this like imaginary, like this girl that they think is, their, is an imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. You know, he sees a fucking horrible ghost in yeah. the, in the goddamn cellar, which I found out later was an amputee mm-hmm. that they had because it's like the thing that crawls. So they found an yeah. amputee actor to like put up this stuff on. Um, so, like, out of the gate, they're kind of talking. They, you start out with them as children for just, like, five seconds, and then you jump into Steven's episode, It's they're adults. Yes. All you know about Luke is that he's a drug addict, and, and that he's in, he's in, in rehab. out of rehab. So I'm like, this kid saw something. Some shit. So, Luke's episode is the one that made me stop watching because I got so scared. Because I was originally going to... My friend Caleb and I were going to watch it over one night. Mm-hmm. And we had to stop because his episode made us too afraid. <laughs> I think Luke's episode was the first one that got a visceral, emotional reaction out of me. Luke? What, where specifically? Um, I think... Honestly, I think specifically while he was making his phone call back to the rehab center after his friend, girlfriend yeah. had just left and he was like... I just need something because he I'll sleep on the floor. I don't care. Like, I'll sleep on the floor. I'll, I just need something yeah. because he doesn't know that his yeah. sister has died and that the little like twin connection he had yeah. with them, he was starting to go through oh a drug withdrawal that she didn't exist. It's in. so cool because his whole episode when he's a when he's a kid, his it kind of centers around the cellar episode and his relationship with Nell, his yes. twin sister. And how they had this, like, twin connection, and they kind of were like, you know, I broke my ankle once, and she called me and was like, my foot was killing me, like, what's up? To the point that after she dies, he starts feeling colder and colder, and his limbs feel stiff. Yeah, and I think that goes both with, he's feeling her death, he's feeling her death, and the the withdrawal of feeling that she was there, and And it hurt emotionally so bad. And the way that episode ends is, like, you know, he's like kind of busted out of 
rehab to go find his friend who left who rehab. Left. And, you know, I also really liked that, you know, because he had a very scary, traumatic experience with a ghost in the mm-hmm. house, how he kind of got over it was he would take out, like, seven talismans and count them out loud yeah. and touch them. And basically, it was supposed to be that he was counting every every member of his family, mm-hmm. and that he's like, well, once you do this, you're safe. You just yeah. have to keep repeating it a lot. And throughout the episode, especially when he's outside and he's scared of, you know, using again, or he's scared of what's happening to his friend, or that weird bowler hat man that's following him, yeah. he just keeps counting to seven yeah. over and over. Like, that's his thing. Mm-hmm. And... It's, it all comes to a head, especially when he calls the rehab place and, and Stephen comes Stephen and gets is him. there at to, the rehab well, cause, place. To tell, because he wants to go get him to tell him that Nell's dead. Yes. But once they find him and he's like, I don't know what's going on. I didn't use. I'm just so cold and I'm so scared and I didn't use. It's like mm-hmm. withdrawal, but worse. And he's like, Nell's dead. And it and like it breaks him, him. But then he says, how? And yes. he's like, she killed herself. And the and episode ends with him saying, no, she didn't. No, she didn't. And oh, <laughs> we stopped after that. Because I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's giving me chills again right now just thinking about it. And then after that, you get Nell's episode. Yes. Which, oh my god. So Nell kicks off the show that she's kind of, we don't know why yet at the time, but she's spiraling mentally mm-hmm. and ends up going back to Hill House. Yes. And commits suicide there, as far as we know. She hangs herself in the house. And the... That's that's it. Like, that's the beginning of the show. That's after the end of the first episode. Yes. Well, yeah, the first, the end of the first episode is Stephen finds out that Nell is dead. Well, and that's so cool, because Stephen's, like, got this whole thing, like, I've never seen a ghost, all this blah, blah, blah. And he, sees and he walks into his apartment. apartment, sees Nell, and then gets, like, a phone call that she's dead. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> Which is, like, I think the only scare from that episode, really. Yeah. Is just that. And then it's done. That's the end of the episode. So there's a lot going on with Nell. When she's a kid, she has a lot of very vivid nightmares about this ghost in the house that's of a woman that hanged herself. It's called, And she calls it the yes. bent neck lady. Which is fucking terrifying. <laughs> Um, she's going through a lot of, she's got bad sleep paralysis, she's got night mm-hmm. terrors, um, and obviously being the youngest, she doesn't have a lot of relationship with her mother, but she's looking more for, of support from her brother. And, yes. I mean, and he's kind of useless because he's a drug addict at the time, but she needs support from her older siblings, none of which want anything to do with anybody, because yeah. they're all fucked up sure. emotionally. Yeah. Um, but there's this... You know, especially after the death of her husband, she kind of goes off the deep end. Well, and her husband dies while she's in that sleep paralysis. Yes, and she even asked Theo to, like, can you touch the floor? And find what happened. And she's like, I don't feel anything. Mm -hmm. And um, that just reminds me how Theo's episode ends is... So after Nella's committed suicide, as far as I know, they... The family all gets a call. Um, I mean, everyone's episodes entail them hearing about it from their mm-hmm. father. Um, Shirley, because she runs a funeral home, decides that she's going to prepare Nell for yes. her funeral, which is intense. I mean, that's I don't think that that's on. a lot. So Theo, oh. because she lives there, goes and touches Nell's body and then just screams. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
we had this whole episode of her being like, okay, well, she touches things and knows what's up, and she touched Nell and had that reaction. Freaked out. So, Nell's the the first one that goes back to Hill House, and the way that the house, and we'll kind of get to it a bit after we cover the kids, but the way the house gets to you, especially with them, is as their mother. Yes. So, their mother is like, when they think of Hill House, they think of their mom. Mm-hmm. And so the house is literally calling them back as if it was their mom coming to them being like, come home. Yeah. So because she's spiraling emotionally and really has no one to talk to, she goes back to Hill House. And she gets these perfect visions of what she wishes things had been like. Because like her wedding where her mother wasn't yeah. there and her brother yeah. was turned away by one of her other... Which Shirley told him to Siblings. leave because he's like, you broke out of rehab, go back to rehab, you're a drug addict. But yeah, and so she gets to see this perfect idealized wedding with her husband yeah. who's dead. Her husband's her there, her dead. mother's there, Luke is Luke clean and is clean there. And there. You know, everyone uh, is not yelling at each other. Yeah, everyone's happy with each other for And once. it ends with, you know, the house kind of tricks her in mm-hmm. a way into killing herself. Yes. And... Well, because she it's, thinks yeah. it's the necklace her mom gave her when yes, she was little, that and she's locket. putting it on, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden she realizes it's a noose. Yes, and the house was lying to her. Yeah, and uh, so I, that kind of covers them. And so I want to talk a bit about what this show kind of means, what it, what its themes are going into. Mm-hmm. So the the last episode is the one. So the, a lot of the episodes are obviously Luke's and Nell's. Got me on the verge of tears, but I never actually really cried. It was a lot like Endgame, where I was kind of like almost crying, and I was like, no, 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 it's fine. And then at the end, I just it broke down. You. So the show ends with so after you know Nell's funeral, which is that episode with the, the long one take. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that episode where they're all together, and it's the day before her funeral. Yes. And then after her funeral, Luke goes. A wall and ends up back at the house and oh, he yeah, wants he to destroy steals, it. He steals Shirley's wallet and Theo's yeah, car, and her car to go to the house. Yes, and there's, I mean, it, it, it motivates them to kind of reconcile with their father, who until this point they've all hated for various reasons. Yeah. And I liked that all it took to get them back, in, even in the slightest way, was when he was at the funeral... And he just exchanged words with them. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of softened. Yeah. And I was like, that's all it takes, you talk idiots! You just talk it. to each other and you won't be so uh. mad! So it brings them back to the house. And they all get locked in this red room. So the house has a very specific room in its like weird library attic that when they were kids was always locked to them. Yes. Except that it never was. They just, when they went, like, looking for it, couldn't get into it. Although, like, every one of them had their own, like, kind of safe place. And it was all the same room. Like, Theo would, you know, jazzercise in there or something. Um, (laughs) Nell would kind of have tea parties in there. Luke, it was a treehouse. Um, it was a game room to Steven's. Um, Shirley, I don't remember what her... It was like a living room. I think so, yeah. Um, and it was a reading room yeah, for the mom. Yeah, for the mom. And it kind of goes into the sense of, like, the house, like, kind of like the, the hotel from The Shining or, like, Pennywise mm-hmm. as a building, like, kind of preys on them. And yes. they, they go to this thing where 
it was a place where you could stay and the house would digest you. Mm -hmm. Is that the house is a living, breathing thing that has a heart, it has skin, and it has a stomach. And this room is the stomach where it would just, like... And I think everyone, like, what the house would do, like, to them as adults Mm -hmm. was it would prey on things of them from when they were kids in that room. So it, it, like, learned what was... Because they were going to very traumatic periods of time and it would kind of use that bottled up emotion to get at them and as we see there's several forces that live within the house some of them are more kind of they just kind of let you be other ones are angry other ones are straight up malevolent like that woman is is it was getting into the mother's head that the yes. the best way that you could save your children is from growing up and, and facing and the facing horrors the horrors of, of real life is to is just to kill them and keep them here. Yeah, and and that's what the last night is: is that the house has kind of, in a shining sort of way, convinced her to poison the twins and Luke's friend Abigail, which is the Dudley's, the, the caretaker's daughter, who was not like allowed outside of their house in fear of. If she came because the they knew the house was evil as fuck and were yeah. like, we don't go there at night because it already knows that. So I think the best example is that of like what I mean of how it preys on your bottle up emotions is that uh, Mr. Dudley's talking to to Hugh about um, that his wife is this very strong woman. You know, nothing ever gets to her. Even after they had a baby, she was right back to work the next day. This hard driven, nothing gets to her woman. And they had a baby that came out stillborn Mm -hmm. and the next day like it didn't even cry like it it was dead upon birth and when she went to work the next day all she would hear is a baby crying Mm -hmm. somewhere to the point that she walked out of the house and was like they came back the next day were like listen we'll work all you want during the day we will not stay past sunset Mm -hmm. we are not going to do this and the way that he talked about her having nightmares about that baby was he's like i have never seen her like that yeah so my thesis of what this house is is like it preys on unresolved emotional trauma because it's the best way to get someone angry or to make someone feel guilty because steven has this big great monologue at the end of the show about ghosts are fears their mm-hmm. guilts their regrets yeah so to fill a house with ghosts is to fill a place with regrets mm-hmm. and that regret is it, it doesn't just it's not just the past yes. i mean the past has a way of coming back i mean like all of them have things in their adult life that Screw with them. Like, surely cheated on her husband. Yes. That's a living embodiment of well, her regrets coming a, to haunt her. And Luke has a constant fear of overdosing and yeah. dying. And, I mean, and Nels is her husband and not being mm-hmm. there to help him when he died. Yes. So, the house, when it's trying to get them to come back, is it's haunting them, quote-unquote, and legitimately, with visions of these things. Yes. Um, and there's just all of these... Like, it's literally, if your emotions, and that's what kind of what, I, I don't really want to get into it on this episode, but it's kind of what I think ghosts in real life kind of are. Like, or at least the idea of them. Like, the name ghost kind of brings up a lot of different imagery, but emotions are powerful things and leave a lot of remnants. Like, you can kind of feel them in places. Mm-hmm. And if emotions are strong enough, 
they leave marks that people can they they tap into, especially people like that are in real like kind of sensitive and kind of go something's up with this, which is what I think that is. I don't think they see ghosts or whatever. I think they just tap into the like miasma. I use Kevin's word <laughs> of the of what kind of life is about, and I think that what got me what where I cried both times in the last episode was once all the kids are back at the house and it's locked them in the red room mm-hmm. um, embodying the spirit of that woman that tried to get Liv to kill her children. Yes. It locked them in their own minds. Yes. With visions of the, their regrets. It, yes. It, it was trying to kill them with their regrets. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, I think that's what it wishes it did in chapter two is it was killing them with the, their regrets and the things mm-hmm. that they f- were guilty about. Yes. Which, oh, it was, it's just so great, like, writing-wise. But Nell comes in and saves all of them mm-hmm. in each of their things and then has this very sad but beautiful monologue about someone's life is like pieces of confetti or like snow, where someone's time... A timeline is not a straight line where it's a beginning moving towards an end. It's bits and pieces all over. And it was no, it was not a better example than when she found out upon her death that she was the bent neck lady, that she was haunting herself. The thing that scared her the most in her life was her, like literally and figuratively. Yes. And I think that her whole monologue about. How people aren't ever really... I'm already going to tear up. People aren't ever really ever gone. Mm-hmm. Really. It's that... Because they even said, like, you know, this isn't even our last conversation. Yes. Is that you'll see me in emotions and in memories and in things that make you think of me and think of what we've done. And mm-hmm. that's that's people's emotions. That's a kind of, quote-unquote, a good ghost. Yes. That's not regret. Well, that's, like that's someone... How... Hugh kept living his life all this time is oh. he remembered the good things and how she would help him try yeah. to get through things and that's how she remained a part of his life until the day he died. And the reason that he says he never brought the kids back is because he wanted he them to remember their mother their and he did the same thing. He kept her in his mind as an as his own projection until he went to Hill House and actually talked to her mm-hmm. with the benefit of you left me here. Yes. You took them into the dark and they, they're dead or they're unhappy or they're, mm-hmm. you know, going through all these things that that you know, that ghost told them would happen. But he's like, that's our job that's as, our job parents. as parents. And that's the other point I cried. Where like he was talking to her about, you know, journey because they had that saying of like at journeys end two lovers meet. He's like, well, that's the thing is that journeys don't end. And it taps in in a roundabout way to what Nell was saying that people aren't ever gone. Yes. People live in other people. They live in emotions. They live in memories. Mm-hmm. You good? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's just like, I think it's just a beautiful thought. I and absolutely. it's not even like, like I haven't had a lot of people die in my life, fortunately for me, knock on wood. Yeah. But it's just like, I like that thinking of like, people re- like how, that resent the past or feel guilty about it. Like that's, ghosts to them Mm -hmm. you know houses aren't haunted to them places are and memories are so like you know there's 
parts in my hometown that I kind of drive, I'm drawn to when I go home. Like I drive them like, why am I here? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're just mentally drawn to that feeling, even though it was viscerally sad or upsetting. And I think in the same way, it's the same with positive experiences and Mm -hmm. people. And I think that's like, you know, Nell was still supportive of Luke, even though she knew that he was using her for drugs. Yes. But it's like she's drawn to that memory of him as a child with them Mm -hmm. positive, you know. I kind of just exploded a lot of, like, (laughs) emotional themes. But, like, I think that if you've listened thus far and haven't listened, haven't watched the show... Even though it's been spoiled, still go watch it. You'll still but get I think so much that if you keep a lot of that in mind, you'll get a lot more out of it. Which is why every time I've rewatched it, I've gotten more and more because I have that in mind. So after very, their message, I'm very much looking forward to rewatching this show in probably about a month's time. I'm gonna jump back into I it. I think that after we finish uh, Bly Manor, I'm going to feel like I want to watch it I'm going to finish Bly Manor. I'm going to finish Mandalorian Season 1, so I'm ready for Season 2 finish to drop. Mandalorian. <laughs> and then I'll probably jump back into this. Alright. I've said enough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, honestly, we just can't say enough good things about this show. I cannot recommend this show. cannot recommend enough. it enough. Please go it's, watch it. It's such a good time. Good time... As a show. Relatively a, good Relatively time. good time. It's a great experience yeah. for a show. And it's a great experience to come back to. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like this is something with a... A spirit. With a spirit, <laughs> you could say. Uh, Ghosts. Yeah, man. Um, it's a spirit you can come back to, and it will always have something new to re- either teach you or remind you of that you may have forgotten in your everyday life. Yeah. And that's why I think it will persist for years. I think years. it will be around, and it will be a prominent feature for yeah. days I mean, I'm going to watch come. it forever, as long as it's as on Netflix. As access to it. I mean, I might even just buy it on DVD, just so I always have it, because mm-hmm. I, it's something that I will watch always. But yeah. So what's our schedule like this so week, I did? for the next week. So, first of all, follow our Instagram at the underscore square horror podcast. Uh, We're doing all of our uh, daily Spooktober schedules um, for the rest of the month. Um, We always accept fan art. We accept cool. I mean, if you just even just want to send a message about like, hey, what you liked about the show. If if anything that we've said has inspired you to watch any of these movies and you have thoughts like, we love to talk about it. And I if mean, if you have any recommendations for things you want to hear us talk about, we are yes, game. please. We have to start figuring out what we're doing after this month. Oh, I have several ideas. I'm sure you do, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I, we won't like, you know, requests. requests. So this next week on mm-hmm. our Spooktober schedule on Sunday the 11th we have the boy, not the boys, no, the boy. Very different. <laughs> Uh, on Monday the 12th, we have As Above, So Below. I love that movie. On Tuesday the 13th, we have the goofy movie Killer Clowns from I Outer thought you were going to say the goofy movie. Oh, no. <laughs> My favorite horror. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do it again. <laughs> on Wednesday the 14th, we have The Good Neighbor, which I believe is on Netflix. You're the only one that's seen that. Uh, yeah. So I'm interested to watch it. Very excited to watch it with you guys. Star- uh, starring James Caan. Ooh, you didn't mention fun. that. Oh, I think yeah, you may have. James Caan and Logan Miller from Escape Room. Yes. Oh, cool. Um, on Thursday the 15th, we have another Mike Flanagan, Oculus. Oculus. 
Haunted uh, Mirrors. Haunted, with Karen Gillum? <laughs> Karen Gillum is in it, yeah. Yes. On Friday the 16th, we have Houses October built on oh, Hulu. Oh my god. Leading up to our episode yes. next Saturday. We are going to have a guest episode with our friend Kelly Brown about Houses October builds. And it, it's... I think it'll be great because it's a perfect October movie. Oh, yes. This is about haunted houses, like mm. the attractions, not yes. like ghost haunted houses. And if you like haunted houses and haven't seen this movie, watch it. It's on Prime for sure. It might be on Hulu. Yes. I'm so glad they brought it back. That movie scared the hell out of me the first time I watched it in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, God, it rules. And then closing out this week on Saturday the 17th, we have yet another Mike Flanagan recommendation, Hush. Hush? Oh, please watch Hush as soon as you can. It's also how I learned some sign language, which is always a fun little tidbit. I always love saying, the bad guy in that movie, the killer... Is is John, John Gallagher, Gallagher Jr., Jr., who's a Tony Award winning like actor. actor from American Idiot and uh, Spring Awakening. He's also been in the Belko experiment. The Belko experiment. Um, so oh, like, it's just cool because like he takes his mask off in that movie and you're like, who the hell is this guy? And I find out later, I'm like, wait, you sing? You yeah. want a Tony for Spring Awakening? Like this is crazy. But no, that movie rules. It's I love great. it. Oh god, man, I just feel upset now. <laughs> Every time I think about, like, just that one line of him being like, ghosts are guilt, ghosts are fear, I'm like, Ugh. I like start to tear up. I'm literally like, this is a good uh, cry. Yes. Alright, folks, you stay spooky out there. We'll catch you don't soon. see the bent neck, lady. No, please don't. It might be you.